This is Illinois in Focus for Illinois News Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll look ahead to the final week of legislative session for the 100th Illinois General Assembly and get commentary from Illinois News Network publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb for our crosstalk segment about the state's public university's budget requests, a Democrat who's saying no to House Speaker Michael Madigan, the controversy over an old hat, and more. But first, here are some of the top stories from the past week. Nearly one in four jobs created in the past year in Illinois were government jobs, and one analyst says that's an alarming trend. Over the year, government jobs in Illinois outpaced manufacturing jobs in the most recent jobs report from the Illinois Department of Employment Security. Government jobs grew more than 14,800 over 12 months. Manufacturing jobs grew by 12,800. WirePoint's founder Mark Glennon said that's troubling. Again, this, this imbalance between the growth rates is is not healthy. If, if government is growing faster than the private sector, um, we've got a problem. IDES said most of the new government jobs over the past 12 months were in school districts, but also other units of government down to park districts. There were 1,400 new state government jobs, but 1,100 fewer federal government jobs. Across all sectors, there were 59,300 jobs gained over the past 12 months, but government jobs made up a quarter of that. Glennon said that's scary. Yes, it adds to the payroll cost, which is the largest component of government spending. And uh, I don't see much hope for reduced overall costs of government. The overall Illinois jobs created in Illinois in the government sector were from school districts, according to the Illinois Department of Employment Security. Glennon said that makes sense. I would suspect school districts, because we had that big jump in spending on school districts, the new school funding formula added $350 million, so that presumably goes largely into payroll. Glennon said government growing faster than blue-collar manufacturing jobs is a troubling trend that could lead to more fiscal instability. Incoming Governor J.B. Pritzker is preparing to take office, but his legal team still fighting discrimination claims made against his and Juliana Stratton's campaign. Illinois News Network's Cole Otterbach has more. Pritzker's attorneys filed a motion to have 10 plaintiffs' discrimination cases dismissed, saying the suit, quote, lacks factual allegations giving rise to defendants' individual liability or to plausible claims of discrimination based on race, hostile work environment, or retaliation, end quote. Stratton said they hired a diverse campaign staff. I've said before that JB and I stand by our campaign. We had uh, over 45% of our entire campaign staff was comprised of people of color. Uh, it was a very diverse and inclusive staff. Over 50% of our senior team, uh, African-American. So uh, these individuals have chosen to pursue this, this path, and we will take that course of fighting it in court. But Shay T. Allen, who represents the plaintiff, says the racial makeup of the campaign doesn't allow campaign officials to discriminate against minorities. Having a diverse staff doesn't nullify the fact that you still have to have a work environment that's free of discrimination and harassment. Uh, so I, I believe to say that um, when anyone says that uh, there were uh, the staff was diverse, I think takes away from why the lawsuit was filed in the first place. Allen also filed allegations of defamation of character after Stratton implied his plaintiffs were extortionists in response to their lawsuit. Allen says what she said was the definition of defamation. That something, especially coming from her, could have greatly affected that person's life and their career and their livelihood later on down the line. So those are the protections the law gives you, that people can't go around in the public realm, especially someone of that magnitude, um, 
making such a derogatory comments about individuals. In a motion to have the case dismissed, Pritzker's lawyers say Stratton made the statement with, quote, a non-criminal meaning akin to saying someone's a crook, inferring they're dishonest, not an actual criminal. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Across the board, Illinois' public universities are asking taxpayers for millions more, and one member of the Illinois Board of Higher Education says there isn't any more. The nine universities last month turned over their budget requests for the state's higher ed board. Most are asking for double-digit percentage increases. The U of I is asking for 16.5% more. Western is requesting 36% more. Illinois Board of Higher Education board member John Bambanek said there's no room for an increase from the state. He said the current budget is already out of whack. Somewhere between one and two billion. We've got eight billion in undue bill, uh, unpaid bills. Um, so without extra taxes, without major tax increases, I don't see how we can substantiate any of that. SIU is requesting 7%, Northeastern is requesting 10% more, as is Illinois State. All universities are also requesting hundreds of millions of dollars combined for various capital projects. Bambanek says in their requests, the universities need to be honest with taxpayers after the historic budget impasse that ended in 2017. They took some major hits, um, and well, I said they want that money back, what they're saying to be made whole, but it's being framed in the context of, oh, look at all these programs we're going to be creating. Well, that doesn't look like being made whole. That looks like expansion. Bambanek said there's a lot of important issues that will be vying for limited tax dollars, and it's going to be difficult for the Board of Higher Education to request more money from lawmakers, given the state's current unbalanced budget and billions in unpaid bills. The Illinois Board of Higher Education is expected to take up the requests at its December 4th meeting. Illinoisans are not recycling as much as their neighbors. That's according to a new report that came, as others caution that simply putting more things in the recycle bins could hurt more than it helps. Cole Lauterbach has more. The Illinois Public Interest Research Group Education Fund report shows many of Illinois' largest cities are diverting much lower percentages of their total waste away from landfills. Chicago by far was the worst, with 9% of waste going to a recycling facility. Springfield and Champaign were next at 12 and 13% respectively. Perg Illinois Director Abe Scar says the state and others should be doing more to get those percentages near the national average of 35%. Uh, yes, there's lots of room for improvement, is how I would say it. Uh, Illinois is, um, in general, uh, behind the national average when it comes to municipal recycling, and you know, cities like Chicago in particular um, are, are bringing up the caboose, uh, doing worse than the nation in terms of major cities, in terms of their uh, residential recycling rate. And there's a lot we can do. It's not that complicated. Um, we just need the will and uh, a good plan and we can get those rates up. Chris Carr with the Illinois Recycling Association says poor recycling habits can increase the number of contaminated recyclables that will ruin an entire load, meaning they're destined for the landfill. For the person trying to do good, sometimes they think, well, this has to be recyclable because it has a portion of it that seems to be. Uh, and one of the things that just is, is mind-boggling is that a lot we do see a lot of dirty diapers, and we do see uh, med waste, medical waste, like sharps in a recycling load. Those are dangerous items. They're contamination, and obviously what's in a dirty diaper can, against clean paper, that paper is no longer clean. So what we're dealing with here is that anything that is in a truckload or on the floor or going along the conveyor to be sorted could affect everything else that's right beside it. It's also a hazard to the people who are working there. So it is important to make sure that what 
is put into a recycling bin truly is something that can be recycled through that process. The report didn't include apartment complex recycling rates, which are lumped in with commercial recycling data. I'm Cole Lauterbach. And the question about whether someone's harmed if they didn't consent to having their biometric data captured is now in the hands of the Illinois Supreme Court. Plaintiff's attorney, Philip Bach, represents the mother of Alexander Rosenbach, who was 14 in 2016 when he went with classmates to Six Flags in Gurney for a school field trip. There, he got a season pass and had to submit his fingerprint. Alexander's mother didn't approve and sued. The case made it to the state's high court. Before the Supreme Court Tuesday, Kathleen O'Sullivan represented Six Flags. We ask you to rule that aggrieved by a violation means injured by a violation, that there is some injury flowing from that violation. The defendants argued, since nothing improper was done with the fingerprints lead to financial or other damages, there's no harm. Justice Ann Burke questioned that logic. It's too late to wait for the harm. I mean, it's too late. They can't do anything about it or may never know. And you can't get your fingerprints back. I mean, it's irreparable harm. Bach said the harm was in taking the fingerprint to begin with without consent. How the high court decides the case could broaden its scope. It is a class action. Uh, we don't, we haven't, the case hasn't gotten very far because we've been working on this threshold issue of can you even file a lawsuit if somebody takes your fingerprint without permission. Court now has the case under advisement. Those are the top stories of the week. Find more online at ilnews.org. Coming up from Illinois in Focus, commentary from Chris Krug and Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus for Illinois News Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Hey, this is Chris Krug, publisher of Illinois News Network. Welcome back to Illinois News Network's Illinois in Focus Crosstalk segment. Dan, welcome back. How are you? Doing great. Happy Thanksgiving week, Chris. Happy Thanksgiving week to you, my friend. So, um, probably the biggest story of the week is the uh, university system budget requests. Uh, the, talking about the University of Illinois and then the directional schools, you know, Western and Southern and Northern. Uh, asking for uh, money for their budgets for the coming year. And that's not an uncommon occurrence. However, it's as if Illinois is flush with cash. The uh, With the exception of Southern Illinois University, every single state U is asking for a double-digit increase. Dan, what do you know and uh, what do we need to talk about in this issue? This unfortunately has become a, an annual exercise where uh, when they go through the budget process, start pre-budgeting for the uh, the next uh, fiscal year. Um, each department, each in th in this case, we're talking about the university systems, put together just fake fake budget needs. Um, University of Illinois, for example, is asking for 16.5 percent, which totals 90s almost 100 million dollars more than what they got the year prior they're asking the state uh to, to send that much more that many more taxpayer dollars their way western asked for a 36 percent increase from the prior year um just a couple other examples uh governor state asked for uh 13 more you mentioned southern which was a little bit more reasonable seven percent more of course they're asking this from a state government um, that passed an imbalanced budget last year by almost $2 billion, meaning the budget, current budget is out of whack by 
two billion dollars. So the state doesn't have this money. Um, they highball uh, uh, what they say they need in hopes of getting probably a little bit uh, something more. But you know, to be honest, the state can't afford it. Yeah, and and it's not really clear what exactly the university might be doing. I should say the universities might be doing with this money. I mean, I, that that's the, the, the one piece of this that that's, I think is sort of, you know, the most galling is that, that there's a request for additional funding, but it's almost like, you know, we haven't had the money for X number of years, so now we're going to ask for an excessive amount of it now. And I, I just don't I just don't see this as, as being, A, a, a thoughtful fiscal approach, and B, in any connection with the reality of the state. Yeah, well, if if past practice is any indication of um, uh, future practice, probably a lot of it would go to administrative expenses. There's several reports out there that uh, since the early 2000s, uh, administrative uh, expenses at the state's universities outpaced uh, expense, outspace new money uh, for teachers, for people actually who are in the classroom teaching our, uh, our future leaders um, by excessive amounts. Essentially, our university system needs to address that. They need to address their, the cost of their administrations um, before they should be asking taxpayers for more money. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. So let's let's move on and talk about some other things that are up and out there. One of the sort of quirkier stories that's come out in the past couple of days is uh, almost immediately after the election, it was announced that uh, Governor-elect J.B. Pritzker had purchased a twelve million dollar equestrian ranch in uh, Florida. Uh, in the, I believe it's in the Palm Beach area, and the you know billionaires are certainly you know living in a different stratosphere than the average Illinoisan, but the optics of that, eh, kind of odd, and uh, maybe not necessarily sending the best message with regard to portability. Yeah, you know, particularly in the light of his his, his top, really, campaign priority, changing the state's uh, income tax structure from a flat one to a progressive one. Um, the state's constitution currently uh, requires a flat income tax, meaning people of all income levels, from the lowest wage earners to the top wage earners like J.B. Pritzker himself, all pay the same um, rate, 4.95%. And that was after last year's $5 billion income tax increase when it was 3.75%. Pritzker has been campaigning on the state needs to spend more money. To do that, the state needs even more revenue. Um, His pitch has been uh, we're going to change the Constitution to allow for a progressive tax rate. And, of course, he's claiming that, that only millionaires or billionaires like himself, he's worth $3.2 billion, um, would pay more. Um, um, and that would pay for the spending. But, of course, he won't, he won't share, hasn't shared his rates, what rate structure he'd want, what percentages, and what income levels would pay what rates. The word on the street is that the, the top level is going to be in line with what we've seen with the other progressive tax states. And... In California, and you know, in, in, in what's uh, what's in place um, in New Jersey. So you think about 12% uh, being applied, to, you know, to the wealthiest. But in those models, and and I've had an opportunity to to take a look at them. You're talking about 0.6% of the population that would be taxed like that. So there simply aren't enough payers at that level 
you know, the quote unquote millionaire tax and, you know, this only being, you know, the everybody pay their fair share. Even if you did tax the super wealthy in the state of Illinois, there simply aren't enough people to tax at that level to fill the kind of uh, hole that exists in 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 uh, in, in the Illinois uh, budget and the and the requirements uh, that uh, the state has uh, with its current uh, pension crisis. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's it's a flawed plan for Illinois on two fronts. One, there's just not enough taxpayers at that level um, to pay for the kind of spending that Pritzker wants to uh, spend with his priorities. There's no way only millionaires would see a tax increase under uh, uh, under his progressive plan. But the other flip side of that is, even if you take him at his word and only millionaires would be taxed, who's who's the most mobile? Those folks see their taxes more than double, go from 4.95% to theoretically 12%. They might just pack up and leave, so they're not paying that outrageous um, uh, rate. And that's where the perception from from J.B. Pritzker buying this house, this this horse ranch in, in Florida comes in. Um, is he setting himself up for a 12% rate? And after he's governor, he, he maybe leaves town, so he's not paying that high of, uh, of a rate. This is all just projection, but it, it, it's certainly a perception issue. Yeah, taxpayers they need, need to get some understanding of, of, of the progressive tax plan uh, simply so they can debate it simply so they can make the kinds of decisions that they're going to need to make about their lives. And, and uh, you know, the whole cloak and dagger with regard to, you know, the amounts, and the levels and the rates, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just not, it's just not a good situation. It's not transparent. And, and frankly, I think once the Jack in the box pops out, this people are going to be very, very unhappy with that. Hey, let's, um, Let's stay uh, in uh, government and talk very quickly, if we can, about the story that that we had at IL News this week about Ann Stava Murray, the Democrat from Naperville, who's on record as saying that she is not going to vote for Michael Madigan in the Speaker of the House vote that would be coming up in January. It's pretty brave uh, talk for a newcomer. Uh, this is uh, the newly elected. Uh, rep from the Naperville area. Yeah, Brett, you used the word brave. I'd I'd say that too. It's also refreshing. One thing that we haven't seen much of anyway uh, in decades in Illinois is House Democrats standing up to longtime Speaker Michael Madigan, um, who's been Speaker of the House of in Illinois for all but two years since 1983. And here you have a freshman and uh, an incoming lawmaker who defeated an incumbent. Uh, um, coming in saying she will not vote for Madigan for Speaker. Now, at the same time, that doesn't bode well for uh, her future leadership in the House. Madigan has been known to crush uh, opponents. Just look what happened to uh, State Representative Scott Drury, um, who uh, w- was the first Democrat not to vote for Speaker Madigan uh, two years ago, the last time there was a Speaker election. Uh, he got pri- he, he knew he was going to get primaried by Madigan, uh, so decided not to run for state rep. Instead, ran for attorney general where he lost. Um, you, you just it, you don't buck Madigan if you want any kind of uh, uh, future leadership in the House. Um, yeah, they, so, but yeah. it's refreshing. Madigan took his uh, his anniversary clock, and uh, you know whatever that trinket was that he gave out last year to <laughs> yeah. other members of the. You know, members of the legislature to celebrate his uh, 
30 whatever year lock on the office and then uh, and also he took uh, he took money away from Drury he took the stipend away from being a committee chair Ten yeah, grand because, or some such thing. Two, two things there because his longevity as speaker what is what matters right not not the state's fiscal situation uh, let's celebrate how long Speaker Madigan's been able to uh, keep control. But you're right. Every member of his caucus, every single Democrat got this uh, this clock to celebrate that, except for Scott Drury, because he dared not vote for Mike Madigan. Please. Well, I mean, like uh, like Michael Bolton, I celebrate his entire catalog of work. And anyway, let's move on and talk about the Lincoln Presidential Foundation and the audit that's coming down. The The, the, the Lincoln Presidential Foundation for those who, who are unfamiliar, would be the organization that has helped to put the artifacts into the museum that's down in Springfield, which actually is a pretty awesome experience. Uh, but among the things that they bought so far is a $6.7 million hat, stovepipe hat, that supposedly belonged to Lincoln. Uh, did not come with a certificate of authenticity and has now been determined to not have been a Lincoln hat. So somehow hard to believe in the state of Illinois where, you know, we are so fiscally responsible, but we somehow bought a six plus million dollar hat that didn't even belong to uh, Abraham Lincoln. Dan, what's the other what's the other aspects or what are the other aspects of this story? Well, first things first, Chris, did you just make a Michael Bolton reference? I did. I apologize. Oh, please. As you said, they, they bought this this hat that we don't know and we probably never will know if it was actually uh, uh, worn by Abraham Lincoln um, for $6.5 million. Um, so it's not not going to be worth that when you can't uh, prove, prove own, past ownership of it. But now they're asking taxpayers for a bailout. Uh, this The purchase of this hat was part of a larger purchase when they were um, in the process of opening the museum. Um, they can't pay the, they, they don't have the revenue right now to pay the money back. So they're asking taxpayers uh, to cover their $9.2 million debt so they can stay open. Uh, a couple of lawmakers want to want an audit of it. And that just makes sense. We taxpayers sh shouldn't foot this bill if they don't know what they're paying for. It's not, not necessarily shaping up to be a, a great year for the, uh, for the Lincoln presidential foundation. Uh, a lot of explaining to do. And um, and it's a shame because, you know, the, Abraham Lincoln, obviously one of the most celebrated, for all the right reasons, one of the most celebrated Illinoisans in history. And the Lincoln Museum is a fantastic experience and well worth your time if uh, you are subjected to the uh, greater Springfield Metroplex. Um, Dan, I think that's it for today. And uh, I wanted to say thanks and I wanted to say that I hope very much, you know, by the time this airs that we will have celebrated Thanksgiving and that you are uh, sated and had a great Thanksgiving with your family. Same to you, Chris. Thank you. All right. So we're going to turn it over to Greg Bishop. We're going to look ahead at next week. We'll be back next week with more Illinois in Focus crosstalk. Next week will be the final week of the 100th General Assembly as state lawmakers prepare to put an end cap on the past two years of work. Several lawmakers tell us they don't expect much more left for the legislature to do, aside from addressing some of the vetoes each chamber overrode in their respective chambers earlier this month. But after this week's veto session, that'll be it for this General Assembly. In the past two years, lawmakers ended an historic budget impasse, increased income taxes by $5 billion, passed the largest state budget in state history, but continued with high levels of debt and unfunded liabilities. 
What will be in store for the 101st General Assembly is anyone's guess, but some indication is finding more revenue to spend will be a priority of the incoming Pritzker administration with the help of Democratic supermajorities in each chamber. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at ilnews.org. For Illinois News Network, I'm Greg Bishop.